The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. God, giver of life, may the words that I speak and the reflection and meditation of all our hearts and minds shape us to be people who know your life-giving spirit and share it with those we encounter day by day. Amen. Well, the books of the, of the New Testament 
are all trying to put into words the conviction that in Jesus Christ, something entered the world of human experience that might be described as ultimate or even supra-historical. And by that I mean that Jesus is unique in his reign over all things. And this takes place or has significance outside of the historical process as well as within it. However, our human experience and human language are relative, aren't they? Each of us has our own context. And likewise, the way that each of the New Testament writers and the early theologians, early Christian theologians, describe the person and work of Jesus Christ will differ in their attempt to express this ultimacy. In this day and age, most of us can see, can read, or hear the Bible for ourselves. It's readily available. However, biblical scholars can certainly guide us in that process because the original documents were written in ancient languages through different cultural lenses from ours. And we explored this approach when we were looking at the temptations of Jesus in our conversations at five last Monday. Each of the original gospel writers had a specific audience in mind as they constructed their material. They could never have imagined the audiences that have heard and read the Christian scriptures down through the ages, down through the many centuries since the time they were written. And even as we read today, there will still be nuanced differences in how we understand some passages of scripture depending on whether we are reading and thinking through languages other than English. Sometimes we forget that there are other languages than English. So we might be thinking in English or reading through English, but we might also be thinking or reading in Spanish, German, Russian, Arabic, Hindi, Swahili, or any of the 7,000 languages that are spoken around the world. And still, not all of those languages have the scriptures available in their own dialect. Well, why do I bother mentioning all of this? Well, during Lent, we encounter readings from John's Gospel, including the reading we heard this morning. Since the language and style of John's Gospel is very distinctive, it's easy to become confused when we compare with what we read in the other Gospels. As I read this very familiar passage in preparation for this morning, after several weeks of being immersed in the language of Matthew and the ideas encapsulated in the Sermon on the Mount and the temptations of Jesus as he began his ministry, that I was fascinated in a new way by the differences that I encountered in the language and the focus of John's Gospel. For example, I find it quite surprising that while John's vocabulary is actually quite small, he doesn't have a vast vocabulary, even though he writes about very complex ideas. Many of his frequently used words occur rarely in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. John uses words like agape, love, aletheia, truth, 
Zoe, life, Eodias, Jew or Judean, cosmos, world, Patia, father. And surprisingly, these words appear infrequently in the synoptic gospels in Matthew, Mark and Luke. Conversely, there are some really significant synoptic expressions that we use often. It's almost as though they're embedded in the Christian language that we use, but surprisingly, they are rare or absent in John. Words like parable, kingdom, and repent. So in coming afresh to this passage in John, John's unique vocabulary offers some fresh surprises for me and perhaps also for you. Not only does John use vocabulary that is unique, he uses words in particular ways. He, he uses wordplay. And in today's passage, there are a couple of words that actually have a couple that have different meanings, and John uses them with all their meanings in the passage. John also has some favorite themes, including light and darkness, death and life, heaven and earth. And we encounter in these passages that John is revealing that Jesus leads us from darkness to light, from death to life, and in doing so, removes the separation of heaven from earth. In the passage that, we, uh, that Bruno just read, the word athanon is the word that means both again and from above. So for some of us might be more familiar with the phrase entering the kingdom of God without being born from above. Others may have grown up with knowing it as entering the, seeing the kingdom of God without being born again. John also uses the word pneuma to mean spirit and breath and wind. In the Synoptic Gospels, you may remember from our exploration of Luke last year that the primary concern of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the kingdom of God, though Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. And this is realized through the advent and ministry of Jesus. Today's reading is the only place in John, other than one mentioned in chapter 18, where Jesus even refers to the kingdom of God. When he says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above, and no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. So how can John not talk more about the kingdom of God that is the focus of the other three Gospels, mentioned 36 times in Matthew and 32 times in Luke. Or maybe John does speak of this idea, but using different language for the place where God reigns. John says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above or born again by water and by spirit or breath, or wind. Water is a major theme throughout both the Old and the New Testament, and we could spend a whole morning exploring the theme of water. Water features in the creation story, 
And then a lot happens between there and and the writing of John, but in the very next chapter of John, in chapter four, Jesus reveals to the Samaritan woman that he is the living water. And then in chapter seven, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. So Jesus is the living water, but when we enter into life with him, out of us flow rivers of living water. Here in chapter 3, Jesus also talks about the spirit, suggesting that like the wind, the spirit is completely beyond the control of people. The spirit breathes into this world from another. Like the breath of God in Genesis 2 God gives life by breathing the Spirit into people. There's a mysterious freedom in being God-breathed. And John calls this eternal life. John says that eternal life is the gift of God who loved the world in a way that was not contemptuous or belittling, but rather in a way that saves or makes whole. I was struck by the thought that God's love is so much more than kindness. I think sometimes we can think that love and kindness are synonymous, that if we're kind to someone, we're loving. But love is far more than that. The love with which God has saved the world is different from kindness. We can be kind and still have a level of contempt towards somebody. God has never regarded us with contempt. Since God loves the world, God acts for the good of the world. This is what love does, acts in the best interests of another. In love which is one of John's big themes of the gospel, God gives Jesus to the world. C.S. Lewis uses this graphic language to describe the, the way that God loves. God has paid us the intolerable compliment of loving us in the deepest, most tragic, and most inexorable sense. So in this realm where God's love is at work, both phrases, kingdom of God and eternal life, refer to the same reality while emphasizing different aspects of it. Eternal life is life shaped by and utterly dependent on God's love. It's not simply life in heaven after death. It is now as believers entrust their lives to Jesus. Receiving eternal life is entering into God's reign in the here and now as people who are inhabiting God's kingdom were invited to participate in God's rule of love and justice and grace as we depend on the Spirit's enabling. And living under God's reign is not a solo pursuit. It is something that we do together in community. I really love this illustration of being born of water and the spirit into the kingdom of God or eternal life. For an idea that is really so otherworldly, 
and even supra-historical. Water and spirit, water and breath ground me in the world that God has made. These are things that I can touch and feel and hear and smell and see. Brad and I were walking in Lamington National Park a few weeks ago. And as we walked, I was actually cogitating on this passage, beginning to think about it as we walked under the rainforest canopy in the rain, which is the best way to walk in the rainforest. It was so beautiful. We were walking down to a waterfall. We were heading towards a waterfall. But there was a point on the path where I wondered whether I was beginning to hear the waterfall or whether it was still simply the wind high up in the canopy above us. And who knows? All I know is the rain dripped from the canopy as my steps on the path were muffled by the wet leaf litter underfoot and the wind blew overhead while we were protected within the forest. I knew without a shadow of doubt that I was born from above, that I was born fully into all that was around me and below me that the life of God was fully alive in me and I was in a particularly, spectacularly beautiful place in the kingdom of God that afternoon. Nicodemus came to Jesus with big questions about the meaning of life. This is very humbling for a Pharisee who's described as a leader of the Jews. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night in the dark Seeking the light, one of John's big themes. Nicodemus asks, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. What signs? John has actually only told us about one sign so far. In chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And the rest of the signs, John's way of describing miracles, are yet to come. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus reveals to Nicodemus and subsequently to others that eternal life, the kingdom of God, is centered around God. And the life, light, truth, freedom and abundance that God gifts God's people through Jesus is to be found there. For Nicodemus, a person could only belong to God if they were born as a Jewish person. Clearly, a Gentile person couldn't have another go at being born into the world and be born into and arrive in this world as a Jew. And so Jesus provides this connecting piece that life in all its fullness is a gift for everyone who believes. And in offering this, Jesus offers a radical new way of belonging to the kingdom of God, regardless of tribal or ethnic identity. Nicodemus, as the representative of the people of God, ought to have understood the meaning of the spirit and birth from above, since his own scriptures bore witness to these themes these themes are scattered throughout 
what we know to be the Old Testament. There's also something else quite stunning about Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus refers to all three persons of the Trinity. God is the one who loves the cosmos, the world, and who, unwilling to let it perish, gives the Son. God sends the Son not to condemn the world and its inhabitants, but to restore them. The Greek word in John 3:17 means save in the sense of rescuing, healing, and making whole. So Jesus is both the only Son of God and the human one, the Son of Man. He descended from heaven and ascended to heaven, connecting heaven and earth, remaining in contact with God, the sender, revealing God by bearing witness to what Jesus had seen and known. And then we have this phrase in the passage we read about Jesus being lifted up. Here and elsewhere in John, lifted up refers to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the the ascension of Jesus as a whole. As an interesting side note, in John chapter 19, we find that when Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus, Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and went with Joseph of Arimathea to take the body of Jesus and wrap it with spices in linen cloths according to the burial custom of the Jews. John the Baptist prepared the way for the coming of the kingdom by baptizing with water. In Jesus, the kingdom of God was present and operative and Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus invites us into eternal life into the kingdom of God where God reigns. Water can be a symbol of the life that we receive by the Spirit. As Brad and I were walking, we did come to the waterfall and there was no mistaking the energy and the movement of the water symbolising the life of the Spirit. Looking ahead to Easter, perhaps there is someone who would like to be baptised, to be washed, cleansed, refreshed with life-giving water as an outward sign of receiving the life-giving spirit. Being born of the water and the spirit and participating in eternal life, life in the kingdom of God, was Jesus' response to the searching of the Pharisee Nicodemus. Could it also be Jesus' response to our questions about how we might see and enter the kingdom of God? Amen. Would you like to stand as we get ready to sing again?